0: a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher and builder of beautiful things in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is T.J. Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. My man. Hello. We are diving back into our expert series. Excellent. We have the fantastic Winita Campbell Rasmus with us. Woo Hello. Good to be with each of you. I'm glad we're here together. We're gonna have a good time. I know it. Winita, tell tell us about yourself.
1: Well, um, I'm a wife, a mom, a pastor. Uh, my husband and I have been co-pastoring together at St. John's Downtown Houston for almost 30 years now, and um, It's been an incredible journey, both marriage and ministry. And then, of course, doing it together uh, brings a whole lot of adventure. Uh, We have two incredible daughters who are uh, 33 and 34, and we're celebrating our 36th wedding anniversary. We have two great grandchildren. I mean, two, when I say great, I mean wonderful grandchildren. uh, (laughs) (laughs) and an incredible son in love, and um, life is good. You know, the beauty of uh, this life that I've been given is that it constantly is transforming and uh, evolving into parts and places I never would have imagined. Some places have been life-giving, others have been draining, uh, but I'm learning to be. Wonderful. Wonderful. When in Houston, what's
0: your what's your favorite thing to do in in Houston? I've been just once and uh I need I need hints next time.
1: Let me tell you. If you want good food come to Houston come because Houston has the most incredible restaurants of probably I think comparable to New York and LA. Yeah. Uh, it- in terms of options and variety of, uh, first of all, let me tell you this. In Houston, we have a high school that the students speak over 70, as in seven zero languages. Come on. And so there are restaurants representative of many of those cultures. And so it's a foodie town. It's a great place to experience Southern hospitality. Uh, you'll be walking around and people will be waving at you and you're wondering what's going on. And we're just saying, hey, welcome yeah. to Houston um so there's a lot of great nightlife i don't know too much about that but i know there's some great clubs and great music and we have an incredible um theater life here so pretty much whatever you're interested in we have great museums we have great art museums mm-hmm. or art galleries and so you know you name it good bad or indifferent houston's yeah. gonna have it because texas always makes it bigger <laughs>
0: <laughs> my my family uh my mom's side of the family is uh Uh, Texas uh, pioneers and she grew up for a season in, in Houston, I think in grade school and always, always spoke so highly of it. And I've only been once been to Austin dozens of times.
1: When you come, let me know and we'll go eat somewhere. All right.
2: This, this is, this is a date.
1: All right, TJ, you make sure you come too. I don't want to leave you out. You got it. All right.
2: I'm going to come for the food though. Just so you know. Oh, that's cool. All right.
1: Good. It's all good.
2: When you, you
0: just wrote a book. This is your second book, yeah?
1: It is. What's your,
0: what's your first book about?
1: The first book is called Learning to Be, Finding Your Center After the Bottom Falls Out. And it talks about my experience of a major depressive episode and the journey towards recovering and living with a mental health diagnosis. And um, my hopes in writing the book was that, number one, people would have an opportunity to hear from a person who got the diagnosis And then tried to figure out how to live with it. Mm. Um, In addition to that, I'm hoping that learning to be will help break down some of the stigma and shame around being diagnosed with a mental health illness. What I say to people is that what I came to realize is that number one, we're often so busy trying to run away from a diagnosis, whether it be a diagnosis of the mind or body or a divorce or uh, disability or disturbance in our life, disruption, chaos, whatever. We all have something that shows up and invites us into darkness and the invitation is not to try to run out of it but rather to take a seat invite it to sit down and teach you what it is it has to offer Ooh. and so i try to share that in learning to be And if, at the end of every chapter i share a spiritual practice that i invite people to engage in and um, i've been really grateful for the reception for learning to be good so Thank when when was that released it was released in September of last year, and, yeah. and it is a very COVID-friendly book because so many <laughs> have come to realize that our bottoms have fallen out. Right. You know, you can only stay inside so long, and then you start getting curly in the brain, you know. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I talk about how we began to find um, who we really are. Darkness always has that gift for us to yield some insight into the personality, into the narratives we've been telling ourselves. Um, Darkness has so many incredible treasures. Isaiah 45 came to mind when I was uh, moving through that deep, dark experience. And the spirit said to me, I'll give you the treasures out of the darkness, the riches out of hidden places. And even in the midst of that most hellacious experience, I had enough life left in me to recognize that if God was saying there was going to be some treasure, I needed to stay alive
0: mm-hmm. so that
1: I could them. Mm. And uh, so it was an it was the dark night of the soul for me, um, and it became the most significant spiritual experience of my entire life.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm sure that's that's really both rewarding to get that on paper. I'm sure that's real helpful. Well, you wrote a book on the Enneagram here recently. You are I our see? expert from the ones, uh, from from my people. I'm going to steal oh. that from TJ. He routinely talks about the nines as his people, but my people. people. Yeah. Now, you are my people. We're going to get to yeah. go some fun places. Um, Good. Would Do would would you give us the skinny, Juanita, on on the ones and sure. what what the basics are there?
1: You know, I think um, the. And you can tell me if you would agree with this, but as as a one female, uh, ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a good little girl. Yeah. Follow all the rules, make sure I was in line. You know, I I, um, I started my faith journey at a very early age. I was probably in third or fourth grade and, and I was given uh, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules. Right. So a rule lover like me fell in love with the idea of there are ten rules. Right. Mm. So I make up 20 rules to make sure I don't mess up on the 10. <laughs> and so that kind of gives you some insight to the to the uh <laughs> Uh, crazy life over one. One of the key things that I think um, ones are really experiencing is that we judge ourselves extremely hard. Uh, We're always striving for perfection. And that word striving means we give it everything we've got, whether we're striving to uh, be good partners in our long term relationships or striving to be good parents or striving to be good dishwashers or whatever it is. We are always striving for this ideal of perfection, which is typically exhausting to us. Uh, debilitating in some ways, uh, steals joy from us because we're always chasing the stuff on our to-do list and not the things in our to-be list. Um, for me, I found that uh, being a one really meant learning, not learning Experiencing the weight of living with unrealistic expectations about just about everything, right? Uh, I'll give you a kind of wacky walk through my life in any particular day. When I go to the church, we have a uh, some art that's been donated to our congregation, and it's on the walls, right? And our church is next door to a freeway, so it's always gently vibrating the building so that art will on occasion get out of alignment, right? I walk down the aisle, <laughs> uh, the hallway, and I'm adjusting the pictures so they're, that they're all hanging just right, right? And I that's walk-
2: every time you go through the hallway, yeah. right?
1: every time. And I, and I'm not OCD. You know, there's sometimes when I say, well, I'm not going to do it today. Right. Um, it's going, somebody else is going to have to, another one will come along and fix it. Right. <laughs> but the reality is, is every since I can remember, I have had this strong sense of a moral code that, that said clearly there are some right things and there are clearly some wrong things And then I had to realize that all of life is not black and white, but it's a million shades of gray. And every now and then a lot of beautiful color gets thrown in. Mm. But for a person who's living their life in that dualistic pattern of it's gotta be black and white. I remember y'all even seeing as a kid in prayer, God, would you reveal it to me in black and white? You know, I don't like I I get confused with with Mm. the gray, right? Make it black and white. We want everything to be perfect. We want it to be right and good and sound and solid because in reality, we want to be right. Mm. We want to be good. And we want to live a life of integrity and morality. I always say, if you're looking for an accountant, get a one. If you're looking for uh, somebody... Uh, to To make sure your production is going to be a, a good production. You're going to have good sound, good quality, lighting, good, you know, all the technical stuff, get a one. Now, when you want to have fun, get a seven. Because <laughs> ones are not necessarily, unless we're learning to live into some of that seven in us, uh, or, live, or we borrow from one of the wings of another number, we're not necessarily fun. But if we're wise and we look at the 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 gps that is the enneagram we can begin to recognize how our perfectionism has stolen our joy and then we can start reclaiming it bang
0: yeah, i talked quite a bit about joy here in a minute tj you got thoughts
1: on that
2: i love that description uh, uh the idea of trying to make everything perfect because you want yourself to be perfect. And um, I want to also point out this desire to like fix things. It extends past so much farther past what's immediate to ones. And, and it becomes like, it often becomes this sort of uh, the, the rigidity extends to the people
1: in their yes. lives
2: exactly. they have high expectations for themselves exactly. but they have very high expectations for everyone else as well exactly. and exactly. and for the way that things are supposed to be ordered like they yeah. like it's it's great that you don't feel the need to fix those photos those pictures every single time you walk down that hallway but i know <laughs> some ones who do yeah. yeah yeah and that 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 need to to make things perfect exactly. is, and it, it's it's not about perfectionism for its own sake, no. but it's 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 tied it it stems from that place of if I'm good, then things are okay, then I'm that's, safe.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I'm safe part because I didn't realize that that was the motive behind the way I was operating. Mm. I kept thinking if I'm good, then nothing bad will happen to me. Right. Then I. Get punished by right. great white God, and I'm a black woman, right? That great white God with the white beard, who is uh, checking whether or not I'm going to get into the eternal pearly gates, uh, or and, and I've always said that's a cross between Judge Judy and Santa Claus, and either one of them, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, and so we don't. We are the kind of persons at our core who are harder on ourselves than anybody else could be. Mm -hmm. Then we also are hard on other people because we're expecting them to meet our often unnamed expectations. Mm -hmm. So we want our children to be dressed perfectly, their hair to be perfectly, their shoes to be tied. We want them to do good, uh, good, make good grades in school because all of that is a reflection of us. Right. And it's a great burden for those around us. Unless there is an awakening Mm -hmm. that invites our transformation, that invites us to uh, notice what we're noticing about the kind of life we're creating, that invites us to notice what's happening with our relationships. You know, are they strained? Um, Do people, you know, behind our backs, what do people say, you know? (laughs) Um, um, and, And what I've come to realize is, one of the challenges for us is to let go of the belief of absolute truths. Mm-hmm.
0: You went down a completely different place from where I thought you were going to go there. Oh, really?
1: So. Where, where did you go going to go, Jeff?
0: <laughs> I have already forgotten, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but that took me off. I, I had to. I had to category shift there oh,
1: okay. uh, into well, a different into it? a different headspace.
0: It. Is it? uh you you got thoughts on that teach
2: i can imagine people hearing something like that and immediately saying well well if if you believe in in god and a higher power then you have to believe in absolute truth and and my pushback would be well there might be absolute truth but you don't know it
1: that's right that's right and see that's the thing matter of fact in the in um uh, one of my books, now I'm forgetting which one, if it's learning to be or if it's 40 days of being a book. But in one of them, I said, <laughs> who died and made ones the judge? Mm-hmm. You see, we're always judging. We're always critiquing and criticizing. And um, we don't necessarily always do it out loud, but that's what's going on with the inner tape and the mm-hmm. inner processing, right? Yep. Um, you know, it, it's it goes down to things like, And these are kind of just to be humorous, right? My family and I are watching this show together. And I said, did y'all see that boom mic? And they're going, no, what boom mic? I said, hit rewind. They hit rewind. And sure enough, there's a boom mic. One see those things. And it's not that we're looking for them. They just kind of show up for us, you know? And so we see not only the boom mics, but we see the wrong in the world mm-hmm. and our desire is that it be made right. We are often called the reformers. Uh, We're often teachers in some way or another, whether it be uh, spiritual teachers or in classrooms in philosophy, or it, it really doesn't matter. But in most cases, we are going to be somewhere where we have a platform to be able to share our ideas with whoever Happens to be in our circle of influence.
0: Mm. I heard a an aside from somebody speaking of ones and how they talk about their judgments to the rest of the world, where ones will walk into a building, look up and say, Do you see that crack in the ceiling? And everybody else will say, What ceiling?
1: Right. And, exactly. And
0: the 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 nuance there is for us and the entire topic is lost on everyone else. And
1: exactly.
0: But the that, topic it's you know, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, and that nuance can drive us, you know, my every now and then my, so <laughs> I'll give you an example, another silly kind of example, but my mother in love, which is what I call my mother-in-law, I didn't get her from the law, so I call her my mother-in-law, <laughs> <laughs> fun, right? And so my mother-in-law says to me one day, that's one of your pet peeves, isn't it? And what it was was when my husband has on his glasses, I'll say, "Give me your glasses, and I'll wipe them off for you," because I can see all that stuff, mm-hmm. looked, you know, on his glasses. But he doesn't see it, mm-hmm. and so I'll clean them off, and he'll go, "Oh wow, that's that is clearer, right?" <laughs> but he never noticed it. We ones often are noticing all those little things, um, and others might think we're OCD uh, because we're seeing stuff that they could really. Care less about, um, but for us it's like we have fine tuned fine honed antenna let's go there for a minute because
0: a, a lot of your book focused here in terms of that sort of mindset, that sort of attitude, stealing something from one's and the way it's stealing is joy and in uh, just for background, the books are made up of forty reflections it I would assume nearly. 10, 15 of your reflections ended up really wanting to say to ones who are reading, but you're made for joy
2: yes. and
0: here's the obstacles. And that would be one of the ways of phrasing. This is a primary obstacle. Um, one, could you, could you talk about joy and how that hyper focus or hypersensitivity about what's wrong in the world gets in the way?
1: Yeah. You know what I've come to learn? And and again, um, I have to give my crash, my, 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 my diagnosis credit for opening my eyes to see that, that, that I had been living off of a to-do list. And life is not about being a to-do, a human to-do. It's about being a human being. And the human being is a collection of experiences but for for many of us as ones the experience will have come and gone because we checked off the assignment from our to-do list and so a great tool a great practice for ones is the practice of the examine um saint ignatius of loyola in the 16th century taught his monks that if they were unable because of their work schedule to uh, make the early mass or to make the hours of prayer, then by all means, do not avoid or neglect the examine. And so what the examine invites us to do is to ask ourselves, okay, at the end of the night, I always tell people, sit on the edge of the bed, do not lay down or you will go to sleep, all right? But, But get to a quiet place and just ask yourself, what gave me life today? Another way to put that is what gave me joy? What made me laugh? What made me smile? And you go over your day and you think, oh man, that was so great. Woody fixed breakfast for me this morning. Oh, and I remembered seeing the hummingbird at the hummingbird feeder today. Oh, and that cup of coffee that they made at the coffee shop. Oh my God, it was exceptional, right? And you begin to see what you would not have seen if you weren't intentional. Because otherwise the day gets summed up as, I had six appointments today, they all went well, I have to reschedule that second one, better call them now and make a new appointment. And there would be no memories of aromas or feelings or sights and sounds or beauty or gratitude. And all of these help us cultivate joy. It's the joy that gives us back a deep sense of our humanity as ones. Now the second part of and I got to say this right quick, the second part of the examine is this. You ask yourself, what took life from me today? What sucked the life out of me? And I notice those things and I pay attention to the fact that, oh my God, when John called me, I thought I was going to lose it. He always complains. And he never says, and seeing here, I go to Judge and John, right? So I go into my Judge and John mode instead of saying to myself, now if John always calls me and complains, maybe I ought to not give him so much of my quality time. How much time can I be with John in an atmosphere of love and mutual respect? Five minutes? Okay. I'm going to give John five minutes from now on, right? And so the examine invites us to look at what gave us life, to be grateful for that, and then to do more of what gives us life. The second part of it is to look at what took life from us, what drained us, what, um, how is it that we were unable to give or to receive love, what, what got in the way, to notice what we notice about that and then decide what approach will empower us to do less of that thing that drained us. Hmm. How do I think about that so that I can make more space for joy?
0: One of the things I find in my own oneness is I'm either in the present or I'm in the future. Yes. My present is my orientation and time just as a one. This is where my stance is. The fair ones, it's double Our our body type is present and resistant to the present. Our stance is a present focused stance. Um, Insecurity we move more towards the future. We become more like sevens And what's the next adventure. I love this answer as a high side of stress answer because in stress, ones will go to four and fours are a past-oriented type. And everything that you're saying here and what I was hearing is here is the beauty, which fours are attuned to, in the past that you need to remember. And it seems like a very healthy exercise. And oftentimes, when we talk about our stress numbers, it's in the these negative ways. it's in these ways that I don't want to be there. this is certainly this is this is me disintegrating <laughs> um and here is a great example this exercise is a great example of finding real stability and foundation in that place uh that that in the tools that your stress number has. What has given me life, what's taking life from me in the past, so that I can move back into my centered oneness it's just beautiful anyway, that's what I heard there you got that you. you got that well,
2: I think that also um it it's a way of sort of taking control of 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 entering into a space that's normally reserved for unproductive thinking because mm-hmm. ones yep. with that critical voice are so good at examining the things that they've just done and picking them apart to say, here's all the ways that I did this wrong. Here's in that conversation with John, here's the way that that I handled myself inappropriately or incorrectly for his benefit. And, and sort of taking that, that exact same sort of practice and giving it some intentionality Remove it it gives opportunity to remove the critical voice and to examine it in a new kind of light instead of saying here's all the things i did wrong with john it recognizes that john is actually a big part of the problem there you don't necessarily owe john your best energy because john is an energy suck
1: that's right that's yeah. right and yeah.
2: and it's okay to recognize that john is stealing your joy yeah. and the best thing to do might be to limit John's exposure to your life.
1: Exactly. Both. Notice what you're noticing. Right. That's what the invites us to do. Right. Notice your places of joy and go do more of it. Right. Because so often I found myself as a one and and I don't know if this is um is is beyond a one. So Jeff can give me some feedback on this and, and TJ any insight you have is helpful as well. But often ones postpone joy.
2: hmm Absolutely. As
1: soon as I get this done, then I will. Right? Joy is the
2: reward for the work that right. I'm doing right but now. But
1: it's the reward we never pay ourselves.
2: Yep. Yep. We it's say always something as, that's this coming. This
1: big project is over. I'm going to go camping for three days and chill out. Be, by, be in nature. Uh, go fishing a bit. Go hiking. And then... Mm. All of a sudden, something else comes up and and that gets pushed off. oh, I've got this task in front of me, and I've got to do it right They're counting on me right
0: I imagine we could walk through each of the types and talk about the when this happens, then I'll be happy. I bet you all all types will have something of that going on in their heart and mind, but it certainly is the case that. When the check mark is done, uh, to when the list is is finally uh, check marked, then I can be present. Then I can be happy. Then exactly. I can move forward. Yeah. And and I, it's one of the really helpful things about your book is the routine coming back to that and saying, actually, you have permission now right. to experience and embrace joy where you're at, even when everything isn't fully accomplished.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was just thinking about another example when my girls were uh, younger. They were probably in middle school, and um, we were going to have a family night, movie night on a Friday, right? And so all week we're all excited. We're all saying, "Oh, Friday's family night. We're going to watch movies together." And you know, and we had already selected the movie. I think my girls picked the movie, and uh, it. This tell you how long ago this was in Blockbuster was a Come store, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and you could buy the the a big container of popcorn and stick it in your microwave and it would look like the popcorn container from the movies, right? Yes. <laughs> so we had our our popcorn, our favorite treats. We're all gathered on the sofa, or at least they were all gathered on the sofa. But as a pastor, I was preparing my sermon for that Sunday. And normally my sermons, I tried to finish them on Friday so that I would have the weekend to hang with my family. Well, that didn't happen that week. And so by when movie night time comes, I'm in a quandary. I'm going, I can't play when I haven't finished this work that I'm supposed to do. Right. And so I go in and I apologize to the girls and, and I just see their countenance change. And my mm-hmm. husband, he's like, he's an eight. He's always ready for fun. Right. And so um, I, I go into my study and I'm, I'm, and my head is just like, uh, going 9,000 and nothing is coming up for me in terms of how to conclude this sermon. And so I, I sitting there, you know, head in hand and, and just waiting for how am I to finish this? And the spirit just says to me, go watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't go watch that movie. I've got to finish this sermon. I've got a task to complete before I can go and play. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there giving myself darn near a headache. I hear, go watch the movie. And again, I go, I can't watch that movie. Didn't you hear me? You know. <laughs> and then finally I hear Juanita, go watch the movie. So I get up begrudgingly, yeah. right? Because my task is not complete. I go sit down with the kids and my husband and I watch the movie. And the answer to my sermon was in the movie sure yep i want to say to us ones that the key to our joy is in the living it's in the being it's in the watching of the movies it's in the um biking and the walking down the the sidewalk uh, you know it's in the watching the butterflies and the the squirrels it it's in the being yep yeah.
0: There's, I, I resonate with that a lot in terms of the ones that their are healthiest move from being the ones who have to order everything to being the ones who are aware that there's an order here to be discovered, praised, enjoyed, and that's a, that takes enormous effort and intentionality. But but if you can get there, there's there's great benefits.
1: Yeah. And that's what the, one of the beautiful things that the examine does is it trains us to look for what gave me life yeah. and do more of those things. Mm. And then to look for the things that suck the living life out of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Texas, we eat crawfish, right? And so what you do is you separate the head of the crawfish from the the tail, which kind of looks like a shrimp tail, mm-hmm. right? And you suck all the juice out of the head because all the flavors from the crab boil flavoring is in that head. And it's like this high Mm. you get, right? The invitation is for us to suck the good out of
0: life. I I really want to build on this as a transition because a lot of the way you're articulating your connection to the answers and to reality, I think is really instructive. That when talking about eights, nines, and ones, being body types and really pushing into their intuitional side it feels like that's a lot of where you're going in terms of where you're finding answers, where you're finding grounding. Obviously, you have a, a faith in God that seems to be experienced there. It's not just on the, the heart level that God is saying things over your heart, but it's there's a, what I got a lot of out of your book was how intuitional your experience of relationships and reality are in terms of just feeling your way through life um, in that way that's not emotional, but it's, it's more, yeah, you know, it gets, uh, feels more physical. Sucking the juices out of the head of a crawfish feels to me like a very physical <laughs> image of how to do life.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, you, I, I'm learning that there's so much mystery. And I had limited it all to black and white. And the mystery is mind blowing. Mm. It's awe inspiring. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of pleasure in it. And it's the basis for a life of joy. You know, there was this survey done of a hundred, no, of 50, 100 year olds. And they were asked if they had their life to live all over again, what would they do differently? Uh, Tony Campolo speaks of this in his book, um, who switched the price tags very old book but it's a it's a story that just sticks with me and so they asked these 50 year fifty one hundred year old individuals what would they do differently if they had the life to live all over again there were three things they said they wish they had reflected more they wish they had risked more that they had held life too close to the vest ones can hold life too close because the rules provide us with this preconceived notion of safety, security. Um, and I have to say, we have to ask ourselves, what are we protecting ourselves from? I, I think for each person, it might be a little different, but in many ways, it's the fear. For me, it was the fear of punishment, mm-hmm. the fear of not living up to the standard that my faith tradition had projected for me, uh, the fear of not living up to uh, the reality that I was born my father and mother's first child and I wasn't a boy. And so all of us have a narrative that we're, we get to inquire about. We get to investigate so we can determine if we want that uh, narrative to continue driving our life. So these 100-year-olds said that they wish they had reflected more, like the examine invites us to do. They wish they had risked more and not held life so close to the vest. That, that invites adventure. Then they wish they had done more that would have lived on beyond them. Mm-hmm. They said that life uh, the matter of fact, one of the things they said was that the the thing they thought was the absolute worst thing that could have ever happened to them, their place of brokenness, actually became the best thing that could have happened to
2: them. Sure, what you say, Teach? I'm thinking about. There's a ones have that that sort of indwelt sense of the order of the universe, like that's that's a natural thing that 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 ones feel automatically and, and deeply in the core of them, their beings that there is an order to the universe and and for a lot of a lot of ones that are raised in the Christian church that it's god is is the arbiter of of justice and if you get on the wrong side of the rules you're going to be punished yeah. and and for all ones there is that sense that you have to do the right thing in the right way in order to fulfill the order that that's right. that is already there yes oh and and it just it's something that's very beautiful that that a lot of the rest of us don't necessarily see that becomes this this very rigid way of seeing the world like that, that black and white image is so limiting.
1: Yes. And,
2: and once you are able to sort of step away from that, you see that it's actually uh, this really freeing sense that there is order to the universe and you get to be a part of the ordered universe. Yes.
1: Yes. And, you know, one of the things that was so profound for me when I um, came to know about the Enneagram was that the teacher who taught it said to us that every number on the Enneagram represents an aspect of divinity, Mm -hmm. however you choose to name divinity. I tend to name divinity God. You might say universal law. You might say divine love, however you name it. Each of us is here to represent an aspect of that. Mm -hmm. And when ones come into a mature awareness that what we're here to represent is the reality that all shall be well. Mm -hmm. All manner of things shall be well. It might look like hell right now, but all shall be well. Because there is a divine order at work. And we don't have to, and we're not the ones who have to uh, pull out the whip on everybody to get them in order, right? Right, yeah.
2: <laughs> there is an order to the universe, and it's not your responsibility.
1: And it's not my responsibility. Yeah. That's it. But I think ones often feel responsible at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one who grows up in an alcoholic family would feel responsible to be a good kid mm-hmm. so that the, the parent uh, doesn't have any undue burden, mm-hmm. right? It, it shows up in all kinds of different ways. Uh, in my case, it was the reality that culturally I was expected to be a boy. Right. And I didn't show up that way. So now I've got to strive and be really good to make up for not being the boy, right? Right. So I, it, it gets played in different ways in our, in our own individual hearts and minds, but um, we have to inquire about the narrative. And then we have, to, we have permission to ask ourselves, what would I really love my life to feel and look like? Yeah. Because you brought it up twice,
0: I, want, I I kind of had it as a footnote, but you brought it up twice, and I think it's really important to mention the idea that someone pronounced a judgment in your past who mattered to you, mm-hmm. and this has been shaping four ones. It, there is the self-criticism, which all ones are going to be aware of. We've talked extensively about this on our podcast. There is also the real And heartfelt judgments that we hear from others that we internalize. Exactly. And specifically, you have a vocation in which I imagine you are serving in a very public arena and probably occasionally (laughs) getting feedback about your performance.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: I bet you got, I'm sure you have wisdom for the rest of us (laughs) on, on giving power to other people's judgments and, you know, and how you wrestle with that because sometimes it is coming from your parents and, right. so, and, and you've said the response and I'd so re- relate to this that, well, of course, uh, because I wasn't able to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to do better in the future. And that's, and that's the grid through which we process people's mm-hmm. judgments. And I, and obviously I assume that, that, that you realize that's not a healthy word yeah. over you. In, no, it's uh, not. You're supposed to be a boy.
1: Yeah, and let me tell you something. My parents never told me that.
0: Ooh, and but you know that. You know it I, intuitively.
1: I can That's right. And we all have a knowing. Yeah. Okay. And so it becomes imp- <laughs> important for us to inquire about what it is we know, and where is that coming from. Is it coming from something outside of us that has, um, I mentioned this in, in 40 Days and Being a One, The Work by Byron Katie, thework.com. Mm-hmm. Her is a work of, of a four-question inquiry. The, the first question you ask yourself is, is it true? The second question is, is it really true? The third question <laughs> is, how do you react? How do you respond when you believe that thought? and then she gives you this whole list of emotion words and you go through the list and see which of those are active and present to you when you believe the thought as an example that i should have been a boy right then the fourth one says who would you be without that thought freedom yeah that's probably freedom freedom from my internal critic that i have refined freedom from the external critic which shows up out of my experience in being in society, right? Mm-hmm. I show up, somebody's got a judgment about my, the way I show up, however that is, right? And so I have found that we, in order to live our most expansive selves as ones and really is for every number in the Enneagram, we have to do the inquiry work. You mm-hmm. have to confront What we've been telling ourselves and what we've been allowing others to tell us. And that's work. Because you'll find that it's not nearly so much what other people have said to us as what we keep saying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You got thoughts, Teach?
2: And those those rules came from somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The black and white nature of the universe, that that came from somewhere. And it might be your own head. (laughs) And if you don't ever do the work of figuring out where that lives where that came from in your past it might be your own head if you don't do the work of figuring that out you'll never be able to confront
1: and you know let me say something too because i know there are people in your audience who may not necessarily have a god relationship or a, a god concept uh Uh, particularly in the traditional Christian way. And so one of the things I had to do was do the inquiry about God. Mm. Is it true? Is it really true that God will punish me if I blow this, right? Right. Is it really true? Okay, if I believe that thought, then how do I act? How do I respond? Oh, kind of uptight. Oh, I get wound up tight around that. Okay, so who would I be without that thought? Oh, I would be breathing. Right. I would be going with the flow. I would be learning that all shall be well. I would be able to look over my life and see, wait a minute, that's not how God has showed up in my life. God has shown up as grace, as compassion, as a guide, a comforter, an advocate, a and a healer. And you begin then to free yourself from your limiting beliefs about yourself and then also free God from limits that I, in my case, have put on God. Mm-hmm.
2: And when that starts to really take root inside yourself, it begins to spill out to the ways that you've imposed your way of seeing onto the people in your life. How much more interesting to talk about a God who brings people together than a God who punishes people for breaking exactly. the rules. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and, and becoming a grandparent, mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I didn't see it as much as a parent because you're in the vice of parenting, right? Yeah. And, and my husband always says parenting is a crapshoot anyway. Um, but grandparenting, I say to myself, what could this kid ever do that would make me want to kill him. Yeah. Nothing. Right. Nothing. And so you begin to inquire about what your personal experience has been, to inquire about um, the 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 realities of how we have been uh, judging ourself, and if I'm judging myself. That I have created, and Lamott said, if you find that God hates all the same people that you do, you've created God in your own image, right? Yeah. And so when I find out that I've been judging myself far harder and more critically than God ever would, I'll give you an example. Uh, once when I was wrestling with giving myself permission to enjoy some things that weren't necessarily Uh, spiritual in nature, as an example. Uh, And some of your audiences isn't going to even believe this, but um, I remember um, (laughs) the first time I was introduced to yoga. Mm, I didn't mm -hmm. tell my mentor because she would have said that was from the devil. Right. Right. Um, Because that's her school of thought. Right. But the spirit was the one that told me to go take yoga Mm. because I needed to understand what it was to live in my body and not just in my head, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to do the inquiry work. The, the 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 knower in each of us has a knowing about who we're called to really be mm-hmm. and how we're called to show up in the world. And for most of us, we've been playing our life way too small.
0: Truth. To build on that, uh, I was hoping you'd, Comment on your awareness of your body and its power in the world. I feel like this is a thing for not uh, for all body types. I feel like they understand that their bodies have power in a different kind of way than other types. But the reaction for ones is understanding that their bodies can do so much. There are systems, there are rules, and there's an impression I don't want my body to be corrupted or the source of corruption and that seems to me to be a primary and as you're talking like the risk of jumping into yoga is a is a is a huge thing if you have the belief mm-hmm. this is a system I'm going to embrace that's going to affect my body and I might be inviting something into it Mm-hmm. That's terrible, and so it, it's it's kind of a throwaway joke on one side that this may be of the devil, but it's actually the case that coming out of that tradition, it may really be a, a a you are putting yourself in a place that might be I assume is very uncomfortable on one side, and two, when you're there and and see its real power in your life or or how much it it can be helpful, you know, there's a whole new thing. There. Right. There's not right. a question there, but I was hoping you could comment <laughs> on
1: that. And so again, we go back to inquiry. What am I believing? Uh-huh. And your knower knows that the divine is within all of us, whether you call it nature, whether you call it creativity, universal presence, divine love, there's so many names for it. And, and I um, just recently, I, I'm doing a workshop on Saturday And I was looking at the top 12 uh, faith traditions in the world. And each of them has some common threads, right? Mm. But we each speak a different language. Mm -hmm. Our knower gives us the capacity to discern other languages. Languages that are at time foreign to our understanding. But that's the, the good thing about Coming to a place of freedom Mm -hmm. and joy becomes a ticket to freedom for ones, so that we are willing to let go of some of the constraints that we've placed on ourselves and that we've placed on others.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And our body is one of those places you know it's so amazing to me that you would bring this up because just this morning I did a meditation and while I was meditating it came to me to ask my inner little three-year-old Juanita what she needed here we are especially people like me who are living in black and brown bodies we're living with a triple pandemic racism racism we're living with the impact of COVID-19 and we're living with the impact of the division that our previous leadership helped to create or at least widen, recognize, acknowledge, however you wanna look at that.
0: Weaponizing.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) And the impact that all of that has on our physical body. Yep. Right? So for me, I've gained weight during this thing. And I have now then moved into this, I'm a vegan. And so I, I had moved away from that. I, had, I I didn't eat any meat, but I ate all kinds of other junk, right? To make up for the meat, right? <laughs> and so this morning in meditation, I'm sitting with my inner three-year-old and she said, you are using food to punish me. Hmm when all I would like is every now and then to have some ice cream. Hmm. And so I had to sit with that and say, have I been using food as a weapon? Well, it started out, I was using food as a weapon to fight my way through. So I'm eating stuff that I would not normally put in my body, right? So now I'm having to live with the consequences of that. But within me is this Nor, a little three-year-old Nor, who said to me, couldn't we have some ice cream every now and then? You know, it doesn't I know that you're unhappy with this weight gain, but could we have a little joy sometimes?
0: Yeah. The you rightly quote C.S. Lewis on on joy here, that joy is the serious business of heaven. And I'm so I I've, I've, I wrote two books on C.S. Lewis. The Lewis's oneness comes out all over the place in fact a lot of theologians end up being ones because one they're trying to get their bodies under control two they need some systems and three they as you were saying before they want to reform the picture of god that they got handed by others and make it better and so yes. you see this paul luther calvin lewis and we could go on are i i imagine cleanly fit into these one enneagram typings um the th- interesting thing about Lewis's conversion is it is very physical. Mm-hmm. He has a bike ride. He and his brother are on these like 1930s style m- motorcycles where there's the motorcycle and then there's the sidecar. Right, right. Lewis is in the sidecar and they're going to the zoo. And he's he's a World War One vet. He's a, He experiences some severe post-traumatic stress at times. Um, but had begun experimenting with thoughts about God, thinking through God. He's obviously an Oxford scholar, but his conversion isn't mental. His conversion is entirely physical. His And this is, I, I, I love that we've talked quite a bit about God, and so this is a worthy thing for, for ones who just want an experiment. Sometimes imagining that there is something in control of all the details may be a very helpful thing for you even if it's not true, or even if you can't get there intellectually, simply looking for, you know, resting in a belief of that sort. Um, we have all sorts of beliefs that we can't prove. Um, That's right. You can rest in that belief and see what happens. And that was essentially what Lewis was doing. He has this, he he just describes his conversion as something. When we left, <laughs> you know, my house, I was an atheist when we arrived I believed in God. And, and that's it. how it happened. And it yeah. was a very physical thing. He was enjoying the day with his brother.
1: Yeah. Joy. And,
0: and that's what it was. It's it's yeah. the, it's it's all all he wasn't able to improve anything. He wasn't able to drive. He could just sit there and 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 take in the day. And this was what connected him to what was what became most foundational in his life and began you know, overflowing from that place. And it seems to me that that's a really, that's a great insight into a one having an experience of reality that produces the joy, produces connection, amplifies some of the stuff that you're saying.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that about C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I can share that one of my most profound physical, spiritual experiences was skydiving. Ooh. Um, when, first of all, I had... <laughs> I wanted to do it since I was a kid, right?
0: You look like somebody who would love skydiving, by the way. I (laughs) thought you mentioned it.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so um, I I, um, go skydiving. And when I jump out of the plane with the instructor, it was as though I was surrounded in love. Mm. And it was palpable. I could feel it. And um, so much so... I was so caught up in it that I wasn't paying attention to the watch they give you to tell you when to pull the card. <laughs> and so the, the instructor is tapping me and he's pointing at my watch, and I'm going, "Oh, oh, yeah, pull the card, right?" <laughs> and, and and I pull the card. And, and most people think that it feels like a um, roller coaster, but it doesn't. It's more like a a, a, a feather being dropped and gliding on the air's current Mm. and in the midst of that gliding experience i just felt so incredibly loved it was the most amazing experience and it was as though god was just speaking to me without any words and it was penetrating every core of my being and i remember the instructor saying you want to do some tricks and i'm like no mm-hmm. <laughs> just want to be mm. just want to be in this space so yeah i get c.s lewis being in the sidecar
0: well not nothing you can improve in that space i imagine it's it's
2: a, you get no hang-ups well <laughs> <One>, like it's <laughs> how difficult is it for let me rephrase that how difficult it is for ones to get lost in the moment yes and like i i don't understand that i get lost in the moment seven or eight times an hour <laughs> <laughs> like
1: like I'm nines are always like lost in you. the moment
2: <laughs> and 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 ones being so focused on on the things that need to get done and like like the right way and and like noticing the boom mic and the things that need to be fixed ones have such a difficult time being lost in the moment and i'm i would be willing to bet money that every time that either of you can think of where you truly got lost in the moment there was joy there yeah
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: yeah, to, to piggyback on just another example, and it's a very physical example. So, so I'm a skier, and I go way too fast, um, And but that's it. It's the place. I'm going 60 miles an hour. I realize if I, if I, if I do anything wrong, I'm going to get very hurt, and I don't care because it's a source yes. of, of invigoration that I experience nowhere
1: else. I'm so glad you said, and I don't care yeah. because we care so much that when we're in our space, matter of fact, my husband is an eight. The notion of me going skydiving, just, he could not understand. <laughs> that, was the most, that was the craziest thing. He, you know, he said, look, if you do that, don't do it while I'm in town. I said, no <laughs> going out of town tomorrow and I'm going tomorrow. Right. You know, Uh, but but he said later, he told me all I could imagine was you dying. Yeah. Then I said to him, it wouldn't have mattered. Oh, because it was that joyous. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you're going to die, die doing something that gives you joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not telling anybody out there to go looking for the thing they can do to kill themselves to have joy. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying suck the joy
0: out of life. There it is. Mm -hmm. It also exposes, for those of you who aren't ones, it exposes how much it takes to get us past our hyper-awareness of what's the next thing I need to make better because somebody's going to judge me. I'm going to judge myself. I have to out, it's not an outrunning in the same way that sevens do, but it's a silencing, like what it takes to, to silence some of that mm-hmm. often may require, or we're, we're saying these are the places that it, uh, this worked for us. I, I, I assume it's the case though. In But here's the thing about your book is elevating those practices that do that routinely. You don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Skydiving, I imagine, is real expensive. <laughs> like,
1: I, I bet it you. Not, it's really not that expensive. Is that right? No, that's right. It's, uh, I think it was like maybe two hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. I mean, I don't consider that expensive. You know, well,
0: that I um, would have guessed higher for sure.
1: Yeah, and and but, that's the other thing. I'm glad you said that. Tell me, because so often ones think the thing they want to do is going to cost a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We, yes. We don't, we won't justify it. It's the rules. Right? It's the rule. Yeah. It can't cost a lot yeah. right? because we, we're not going we're gonna, to, we're not going to pay for that. Right. So as an example, and I'm gonna whisper because my husband's in the other room. He doesn't. <laughs> right? But my girlfriend and I are going to go take pilot lessons. What? And we're going to fly. All right. Now we're not going to take a lot of them. We're probably just going <laughs> to take one or two lessons. <laughs> but we're going to we're going to take a pilot's lesson. All right. And I am elated. Mm-hmm. Now I gotta say this to you also. Do you know that for ones, or at least for this one, I am just now learning how to anticipate joy. Mm. I can have a trip planned, on which I do. I have to have a trip planned. My husband and I are going to Miami in June. Uh, we're going to Aruba. We're going to Scottsdale, Arizona, I think it is, to meet with our kids and my grandchildren and our in loves, And I invest no thought of how much fun that's going to be. Whereas many of the other numbers are packing and they're you know writing notes to themselves and they're doing things and they're talking it up with friends i never do that mm-hmm. that is a learning for me mm-hmm. to begin to anticipate joy
2: well i'm sure it's something that that you have to to practice that you have to learn how to do yeah and I would guess that's a universal experience for once that you have to learn how to anticipate joy. Yeah.
0: We talked about this real early on in our podcast. So, our podcast has been going for about two years, but one of our early episodes, we talked Great. about the high side of our security number. I would love to bring that in right now. There's virtues associated with all the types. And it seems to me that when we go to security on the high side, we experience the virtue associated with our security numbers and the high side of seven, which is where ones go in security, is joy. And so the the fact that you're focused so much on joy strikes me that you have had a taste of what the high side of security looks like for you. And there is something about all of the things are put in their place. We can't live in security but it yeah. certainly is the case that opening ourselves up, especially ones giving themselves permission to find security by yeah. practices that free them from the list, the criticisms, the rules in ways that are healthy, invigorating and give them life is a fantastic presence. Because what it strikes me, and I think I'm getting this from here, it's but when you get to the high side of your security number, that's actually the location of grace. This isn't something you can't, you can grab hold of through effort. It's something that you have to be opened to. And at times it it is lavished on you.
1: Yes. Oh, and, and that's the other thing, the grace piece. Mm -hmm. So when we're at our, when we're living in our full oneness, when the, when the margins are clear, right and we're living in that space, we know nothing about grace. Yep. We don't know grace for ourselves and we sure don't know it for others. But one of the things that's been helping me to cultivate grace is uh, a compassion exercise that I've learned to do. So what the exercise invites you to do, and, and it's, you're invited to do it in a public place if you can, but you can also do it while you're watching TV, If you see a person that you would not normally want to associate with or that you would potentially um, judge, right, for whatever reason that you would judge this person, the compassion exercise invites you to look at that person and then give them their humanity back. Mm -hmm. And that looks like this. Just like me, that person knows grief. Just like me, that person is doing the best they can where they are with what they have. Just like me, that person has probably been criticized. Just like me. And you keep going down all the things about you and you put it on that person. Just Mm -hmm. like me. And you get to the place where this person is me. And you've given them their humanity back. But you've also given you your humanity. Yeah. And it means with just like me, this person just wants to be loved.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. Um I had a lot to say there, but it was all gonna be political and
2: probably was gonna get cut anyway.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there like there's there's a really, really necessary, uh, especially for ones, there's a, a necessary double accomplishment in a practice like that it's it's not just that you're giving that person their humanity back which is we we need that in this world we need to look on other people with compassion look at everyone else with humanity like see the humanity in the people that we easily judge but also especially for ones we need to let that humanity creep back into ourselves yes because the, the place where your judgment of those others stems from starts at yourself. And mm. if you can't see yourself with humanity, then you're yeah. going to have a much harder time seeing other people with humanity. Exactly.
1: exactly. So that's been a real learning. And it's a practice I, I try to do on a regular basis. Yeah. Especially when I find there's someone who's particularly irritating me mm-hmm. for some reason, you know. And so I have to notice what I'm noticing. Yeah. Because I, I'll be responding a certain kind of way. I'll be feeling certain kinds of things. And so I, I, I the my saving grace is to practice the compassion exercise. Yeah. And your audience can Google that. They can find it. But we just shared it. <laughs> there you go.
0: That was. My favorite part of the book was just the, the subtitle of one of your chapters or the title of one of your chapters was self-compassion. And so often in our culture we talk about self-care mm-hmm. and there's a difference for ones in the idea of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. One of the more powerful things that my wife said to me once, and I articulated that this is really helpful, that she should do it more often, is using the phrase when i'm you know i'm talking through some problem you need to be nice to yourself mm. and and it's different it's different than self care yeah. but it's the thing that my heart occasionally does need to hear that you are doing violence to your person and yeah. and and it, and it needs to end and and yours is a much healthier exercise, I think, in terms of awakening yourself to not only the, the humanity of the person in front of you, but to your own humanity.
2: Um, yeah.
0: And what a great good! So, anyway, I loved the phrase self compassion. It's it's worth that's that's worth owning. Thank you. One of the pairings. So here's here's my systematic side that routinely comes out is I love elements of the enneagram that overlap. Uh, And one of them I hadn't seen before, and it just popped for me in your work, and that is your anger and your thinking repression.
1: And the places
0: that the anger of a one and their thinking repression end up being – those are both generally – negatives and they can actually work in tandem to do great damage in your book. You said, I almost banished my beloved to the hinterlands because he ate my cheese. This was a, an illustration. That set up point of your <laughs> reflections. I was fuming inside and knew that this grievous insult would have to be addressed. The sooner the better. Thankfully, when I reflected later on the incident, I found that I needed to sit with the question and listen deeply and the solution to anger and thinking repression was all over that last sentence, which which I, I just found tasty. I found I needed to sit with the question and listen deeply. I don't have anything else to, uh, to offer. What do you hear there, TJ? And and I'll throw it to you when
2: So with ones that that anger is turned inward first and foremost, mm-hmm. uh, and like this this is. Like anger plus judgment equals. Uh, I'm I'm always mad at myself, and um, and then you have these ways that that other people are not doing the things that they're supposed to do, or they're interfering with with your perceived order somehow. And it like th- this is where resentment lives. This is where it's born and 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 grows and becomes a problem. And 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 pushing that out of yourself into uh like who like how dare you eat my cheese that's yeah. it, it's not just about the fact that you didn't have cheese anymore it's also like there's an order to these things and this was there there was a plan and and how dare you violate the plan and and yeah. the way that that anger just it 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 can become so like, this is a great example of how it becomes a little ridiculous, mm-hmm. but also there, there are ways that it comes out of ones in, in ways that it, it's not necessarily ridiculous. It's not silly, but it is unnecessary, unhelpful. Uh, it's, it's entirely about the world not being the way that I think it should be. Exactly. And yeah. and in the example with the cheese, it's silly, but in, in other examples, it it may not be silly, but it is still as harmful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, what happened with the cheese was first of all, I wrote all this during COVID nineteen, and we're still, of course, in COVID nineteen. Um, and what had happened for me is that I had been Overextending myself to care for my husband because, as an eight, and he is particularly an extroverted eight, he's not used to being at home. The you know, the sun rises in the morning, he hits the streets, mm-hmm. and he comes back when the street lights come on. And so, I was doing all these things to help make sure his world would be right, mm-hmm. and then he broke into my world and ate my. <laughs> I don't know if y'all cuss on your show, but I was mad as Hades (laughs) and I was so angry that it pulled my own chains Mm. and it made me say, wait a minute, he always eats out of your plate. Why are you this angry about this? And so I had to sit with it and in doing so, and that's why reflection is so important. Remember I said those 50, 100-year-olds said they wish they reflected more, Mm. right? Because that didn't become a big argument. Fortunately for him and for me, he had a Zoom call to go attend to (laughs) and that gave me the space to say, girl, what's wrong with you? What's happening with you?
2: Which let's be honest, it forced you into that space. You did not choose that. Absolutely
1: not. (laughs) Thank you for your clarity, TJ. (laughs) You're absolutely right. No, but the key is we're training ourselves in the way of being, Mm. right? And so I was so grateful that I noticed what I noticed because it was all about me. It was all about the fact that I was resentful the fact that I had put all this effort to making things good and right for him. And I felt, and you said that word Jeff, violated. I absolutely felt violated in that moment. We've been married 36 years. The man has eaten out of my plate since before we were ever married. With the common phrase, it always tastes better out of your plate, baby. (laughs) I would love to talk
0: about this in terms of the 8-1 dynamic Ooh. both of you would like control
1: oh and, absolutely
0: and I imagine that ends up being I don't know would you like to just comment on that for for, sure. for, for, for those of us who have children who are body types and we're a body type uh, or or spouses um, what is what's what's the wisdom uh, here or podcast partners I didn't think about that
1: Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think the kinder I am to myself, I I know the kinder I'm able to be to him. And I got to say a little bit of this. So my husband has ADD and he'll tell anybody he does. And so he has a lot of energy. He's an extrovert. I'm an introvert and I am very much um used to working from home my my home office is here i do all of my podcasts i do i mean anything i do like our time together i'm i'm doing it from my home office space right he has an office in a coffee shop and that's where he does all of his business all of his meetings and so for a while there he was here at home right and that became a very intense seven months of us being in the house together. I learned so much about him and what he needs and what he doesn't need from me. Mm. I also learned what I really need and to name it. One of the keys, I think, is that when you have body types communication is critical because otherwise everybody goes off somewhere in their head and make a whole lot of assumptions <laughs> and so it becomes important to be able to say i'm wondering right now what you're thinking about this i'm wondering how you're feeling about this i'm wondering how you're processing this conversation, you know? And so I I, I think with all of our types to come with curiosity and wonder, and I'm learning also, even though we've been married 36 years, to ask myself, what gave me life today with him?
0: Yep, there it is again.
1: Yeah. What drained me? Was there anything, Was there any place where I didn't feel our love, my love was, was received, or where I felt constricted to offer love? And then to pay attention to that, that reality of the examine invites us into a richness in relationships with the other and I don't know of anything else that does. Now, both of us are in therapy. We have been. When we first got married, we went to therapy together, and uh, that was after about 18 months. It seemed like the honeymoon was over about that point, point. <laughs> and so we had, we had said divorce wasn't an option, and we couldn't kill each other, so <laughs> therapy became the way of working it out, so we both have our own therapists, and whenever there is a a space where it seems like there's unnecessary tension or we can't figure out what's going on. We go check in with our therapist. Mm-hmm. And so it, for me, I'm just sitting here thinking all these years of therapy, now I'm saving your audience a great deal of money. <laughs> all <right? laughs> it all boils down to the examine what gave me life and be thankful for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What took life from me or how is it that I wasn't able to complete the circle of love? in this relationship today? And how might I approach it differently tomorrow? And be thankful for the awareness because it's in the noticing what we're noticing that we have choice and we have power to do something different, to look for new ways, look for new solutions and to stay open and willing to receive and to give love.
0: I got a question about the flow of anger in your relationship, because this is the problem I tend to have with AIDS. I I love and connect deeply to AIDS because there's so much energy for me to react to. However, the one a primary problem is that AIDS often express most of their emotions with anger. (laughs) Not always. There there's a lot of anger that is going outward from AIDS. And for ones, the anger is going inward. And it feels like Mm -hmm. there's a doubling down there. The Mm -hmm. the anger is coming from one person who that's how they navigate. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other person who's very accustomed to making everything a judgment on themselves. And can you talk about navigating that dynamic in a healthy way? Or is there a healthy way?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, again, I I have to be honest. My husband and I have been in therapy and we've learned to communicate, you know, we've learned to be able to say, I, I feel really frustrated when you did that. You know, I felt blank when you, right? Instead of you always, you never, you, why, you know, this is the 9,000th time, you know, you take all of that out of the conversation, right? And it becomes I felt really frustrated when I asked you to take the clothes out of the dryer and you left them in the washing machine mm-hmm. or whatever, or whatever the situation. Sure. Is. You, You know, as as human beings, we invest more time getting a driver's license than we do communicating with one another. And so it's imperative that we find good (laughs) communication skills. Now, don't even get me started on the fact that we spend more time getting a driver's license than we do learning how to raise children. (laughs) right. Okay, And so it's about getting communication skills. It's about cultivating a dance that works for you and the person that you're doing the dance with, Mm -hmm. you know, which is one reason why the um, cheese thing really rattled me, because I felt as though for the most part, I don't tend to really get angry with my husband, because I've learned so much about who he is and how I know he's going to say no to something I suggest first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's his security. Yeah. He secures himself first and then he thinks about what I said. And then he, he, he'll come back and say, well, I guess we could go out to eat. That would be fine. <laughs> 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 but it's, Learning to be with yourself in a way that allows you to be grounded so that when you're in conversation with an eight or whatever the number might be, you don't have to go flying off the handle because they did or it appeared that they did. I know now that he's going to say no to whatever pretty much I asked. Yeah. And then give him a minute or two. And remember, my husband has ADD. So he didn't even really hear me when I asked him. He was His squirrels were out running and some <laughs> were climbing over the roof and some were swimming and fishing. And, and then he heard me. And then he said, oh, yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So communication is important. It's important to learn your spouse, your partner's communication style, whether that's partners in a podcast or partners in the bedroom or children, paying attention, noticing what you're noticing. Here's something that someone, uh, I think my therapist suggested this, that when you walk away from a conversation, you ought to know more about that person than they do you. That's a good word. That means we learn to listen, listen for the hidden clues of what's not being said. And so now I see so clearly how many times I've come into my husband and said, baby, such and such and such and such, right? He might've been looking at me, but his brain wasn't even hadn't even caught up yet, right? Because I interrupted him and for a person with ADD, they're having to, <laughs> somebody explain it this way. You're in an apartment building, right? There's 50 apartments a person with ADD has an apartment for everything they're doing. And so when you say to them, would you like some cheese? (laughs) They're in the exercise apartment, right? They have to leave out of the exercise apartment, walk down the five flights of stairs to the cheese apartment. And then they can hear you say, would you like some cheese? Yeah. So it's about learning your partner's communication style. So that you are able to not be offended, to not be resentful, you just know how they think, and you give them the space to do that
0: t j you got thoughts on on body control anger types in relationship?
2: I'm not sure if this is directly correlated, but i I keep coming back to the the examine and and ones also like there's a next step that. I think it's really necessary. It's also giving yourself permission to not be the idealized version of what you think you're supposed to be. So, so in, in recognizing that the, the frustration and, and, and change and, and lack of control and, and whatever else is going around going on around like, uh, seven months of of living of being together in the same house is a completely different environment than the thirty six years that preceded it
1: exactly.
2: and and so much of your energy went to trying to take care of your husband mm-hmm. and so part of that frustration was that i'm I'm guessing was was had to do with the fact that that your you in a way felt like you weren't living up to this version of yourself that you thought you were supposed to be. And, and the examine in that, in, in recognizing why you were upset about, and, 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 and sort of zooming back and seeing how that time went, Mm -hmm. it's also okay that you weren't being this quote unquote perfect wife.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, to give and, myself permission and, to, to know.
2: Yep, and yeah. and knowing what gives you joy and what takes joy away from you, yeah. it may not be the case that 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 being the doting perfect right. wife right. is good for either of you.
1: Exactly, <laughs> and that's one of the things I was able to notice mm-hmm. is that I was giving him all of this attention. Now he loves my care. All right. Yeah. But he wasn't used to all of that during the course of the day, you know, in the course of the day, he's out doing meetings and meeting with with whoever he needs to meet with, doing all the stuff he needs to do in the course of the day to come home and go, you know, and and then receive my care, Right. right? not have me coming in, looking over his desk to see if he has a glass of water, to make sure he has his tea, you know, and mm-hmm. all of that. He was used to getting his own water and tea. Right. So in some ways, I was probably creating, um, well, certainly codependency, <laughs> uh, you know, but my husband is not codependent. So, you know, he wasn't buying into that. Right. But But in my doing all of that hyper- responsible stuff it was sucking the life out of me Mm -hmm. he had never asked me to do that it was me relapsing into the oneness Mm -hmm. I got
0: two more questions one quick and one a little bit more more broad and then we can uh, this has been a fantastic interview I'm, I'm so grateful for your great energy Wanita it's been such a pleasure, and I feel so invigorated right now. It's really, uh, this is not normally how I feel after podcasts because I'm, uh, uh, and that's no knock on TJ, who is a fantastic partner. <laughs> it's just, I'm just normally tired. Um, first, since you're the uh, our first expert one on the podcast, I have a place of reform in, in Enneagram theory that I just want to pitch to you. I'm not okay. a fan of the terms compliant or dependent when, when used with ones. And I don't know if you have any wisdom to offer why I should come around to these terms or whether you also feel when talking about stance, do you feel like you're in a a compliant personality or a dependent personality? And how would you describe that as a one? Absolutely compliant. So Uh, what is it that you're complying with?
1: whatever seems to be the perceived authority, the uh, perceived um, way of being that seems to be acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and 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 my compliance is always to the high moral road. Yeah. Okay, I don't want something to come back and bite me in the butt, because I made a bad decision. Um, one of the things that I would invite you to consider is do some word study and look at the thesaurus uh-huh. and a little word history around those two words. Sure. But, but also, again, you know, words are so dynamic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so when I hear the word punishment, mm-hmm. I have a whole list of stuff that I can refer to as it relates to punishment, right? Uh, coming from a patriarchal family where my father was a disciplinarian, I, I, punishment is a word that just, you know, resonates deeply with me. And so the invitation is just to, to take a look at that word for yourself and see what that's, you know, as is it true? Is it really true? Sure. How do you respond when you believe that thought, that kind of thing that for me, I'm finding there are some words that are like bombs for me. They go off in my head and in my being. Sure. Oh, um, but are they are they true? Are they real for me? That's the work I have to investigate. Does that help? I hope so.
0: Oh, I think that's a great answer. It's more I wanted to see if the word itself worked for you, and if it did, how did it? How did it, what I heard there is? I suppose what went through my brain was you were in a handful of situations where you have an aggressive type husband, and. Uh, you had described some of your relationship with your folks. And, and obviously you're a woman of faith and those are situations where you might be complying with the Mm -hmm. rules or with, with someone else's energy, as it were. Mm -hmm. I would be Mm -hmm. curious if compliant would describe you when you are in spaces where you're in leadership.
1: Let me say this. I am almost 60 now and there's not a whole lot that I feel I have to be compliant to anymore. Yeah. Okay. Because I recognize that compliant gives other people power. Exactly. It, <laughs> this is why and, I don't like the word. <laughs> Go ahead. So sorry. When I say <laughs> compliant, there's, for me, compliant is... Taxes are due April 15th. I like to have my taxes turned in you by sure. April 15th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'm married to an eight. He doesn't care about April 15th. <laughs> file an he'll, extension, right?
2: He'll do it when he wants. Doesn't want to get bossed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Come on now. And so I'm learning there are some things that really matter to me. And so if being compliant gives me the well-being that I'm interested in, I'll be compliant. Yeah, but in other places where it is not giving me the well-being, it's not life-giving, I'm not going to be compliant. Yeah, and I think what happens is as you age, you'll either become more constricted by your oneness, or you'll suck the marrow out of the yeah. life. You'll get the joy, you know. And I've seen some old ones. Mm-hmm. They don't all they don't all look good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I, I want to enjoy the newness, the 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 removing of the barriers and the the fences, mm-hmm. so that I can play in the open field.
0: I wonder if I need to play this out in my head as you're talking. What I what I'm hearing is there there is something about maturity and maturing where our stance may soften over time and that's a good thing and and yeah. being compliant to the rules as it were. This like my whole field of study is is ethics and it's about examining the rules and sure. I want to understand them in part so that I can, you know, push some of them that are unhealthy and constraining yes. away. And yes. and that apparently was my defense mechanism for for some of this um yeah. unconscious as it is but last question for you so i'm so i'm speaking for a book group the other day and it's it's all women and four of the 10 were married to ones and we spent a lot of time with the same question being but how do i get him to mm. you know not be so and and generally had to do with nitpicky neurotic you know like just so focused on the details, my only suggestion, and I don't know if this is just me, but when you were saying, write it down, what gives you joy and write it down? My, the only thing I said is you need to break out your calendar and put some big X's that say, these are the days where we're getting out of town. Cause when you're exactly. out of town, he can't, exactly. he can't, uh, improve
1: anything. He plans all the trips. Yeah. So as an example, in 36 years, I probably have not bought, but one set of plane tickets. Okay, sure. And I bought that recently, all right? Normally, Because you're
0: going to fly that plane, apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he doesn't know yet, okay? I all like right.
0: how you have control over that space, by the way. There's another <laughs> kind of secondary thing.
1: Well, here's the thing. My husband loves doing that. Yeah. He loves planning the trips because he's always anticipating the next one. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how to anticipate it, but when it's on the calendar, I'm gonna organize everything around it so I can be there, yeah, I want to be present. I'm just still learning how to anticipate it.
0: are those vacations what I'm seeking to describe are they spaces where you can't improve anything? You're out of your house, you're out of the you're out of your church, et cetera,
1: yeah, yeah. And it took us a long time to figure that out because right. we're both recovering workaholics.
0: Yep, and there it is.
1: And we both were uh, raised in entrepreneurial families, yep. and so we we know how to you know clean the toilet in the office and then go stand and do the board meeting. Yep. And so the reality is that has taken us my crash, as a matter of fact, my my diagnosis was what helped us to understand that not only does the family need to pray together, but you need to play together.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm kind of curious how many of your vacations, uh, before your crash were, uh, working vacations. One,
1: there were no vacations. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. For seven years, yeah. you could not go anywhere. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right. Cause there was always work to do. Sunday's always coming.
1: Always work to yeah. do. And he, is as driven to get his work done as yeah. I am mine. And yeah. so we're both in a state where we're learning, especially COVID has been helping us to notice what we're noticing about our nature of being driven. Mm-hmm. And so we're, it's, it's a, a whole new uh, spiraling up awareness of what it means to be fully present and to live our most expansive life and to be rooted in what gives us life and doing more of
0: it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, That uh, finding the eights, nines, and ones, finding value in the things they accomplish is just one, that's how you're wired. But two, that can become an unhealthy addiction. And...
1: Exactly. Uh, and what's worse is when you find that your addic- addiction is socially acceptable. Yeah. Right? right of course. So everybody or wants to have a good sermon and everybody wants the pastor to show up at all the events and everybody. So everybody's always giving you all this. Oh, so good to see you. I'm so glad you came. You know, that was a great message. So you get all this affirmation. And for me, I needed acceptance and approval. So it's like putting a crack attic in the crack house. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then one day you wake up and you think you're going to die. Yep. Right. And you realize there's got to be another way mm-hmm. or you will die.
0: hmm. We could talk about that for another hour, and we're not going to. We <laughs> <laughs> it's been fantastic
1: to meet you and to have you right. on. It's been a true joy. Thank you, Jeff and TJ. What a privilege to be with you guys. Hey, let's do it again sometime. We would right. love to. We actually are hoping
0: to have a trip down to Texas. We have a good friend who is part of your uh, book writing club here. Um, we, oh, cool. we do stuff with Sean Palmer frequently. So and I don't know how... If if you know or are close to, I do know Tom, um, but but we do some some work together, and we're hoping to get down there at some point in time. So,
1: like I said, let me know. We'll go out and eat some good food. My husband will be happy to go somewhere to eat. We would love it. We would love it. Well, I just hope you'll remind people that they can pick up a copy of Forty Days of Learning to Be. Excuse me. Look, I'm mixing up both of my book titles. <laughs> 40. <laughs> Forty days on being a one. Uh, in the Enneagram series, it's published by InterVarsity Press. And if you'd like to know more about it or more about me, you can go to my website, JuanitaRasmus.com, or you can find me on social media, at the same name, Juanita, J-U-A-N-I-T-A, Rasmus, R-A-S-M-U-S. Thanks so much. It's been a privilege Perfect. and Perfect. joy. Excellent. Remind, yes. Real quick, remind me of a, of your uh, of your first book as well. The first book is called learning to be finding your center after the bottom falls out. And it's available. They are both available wherever good books are sold.
0: Wonderful. Perfect. Winnie, much love to you and your family.
1: Blessings guys. It's been a joy.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, you got anything else to say about uh, Winnie's book, TJ?
2: I don't know that I have anything to add that she didn't already say better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: right, <laughs> I agree. We'll just leave it there. Okay. So, friends, it would mean the world to us if you take two seconds, to write a brief re- review, real brief. We don't need much. Just it's going to take you no time at all. Like, but we are clearly addicts for, I, and by we I mean Jeff. We are clearly addicts for feedback. If you would give us some stars uh, on iTunes or a review, it really helps us, uh, energizes us uh, for for the work that we're doing. And uh, it helps other people find this podcast, which is really important to us right now. So you can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. Shout-outs on Twitter and Instagram are always appreciated. We are getting some love on the Instagram. I'm figuring out a system. We have like 12 followers on Twitter. We have 1,500 on the Instagram. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the best thing you can do, of course, is to share this episode with somebody that you love, preferably a, one who needs to know that they can go skydiving and or take a vacation.
2: Yep. Find the joy.
0: <laughs> Find some joy. Music is by the collection in Tim Coons, and that's what I got. You got anything else?
2: I got nothing, man.
0: He's T.J. Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, because that's where the gold is. Come,
2: burning with